Well, Timmy went to Woolworths and he went to buy some pineapples for his mum on his way home from school. Timmy saw that pineapples were on sale for 67 cents a kilo. Timmy collected some pineapples and he went to the counter. Timmy only had $100 notes in his wallet, so he paid with one of those. Timmy received $23.65 in change. To the nearest half a kilo, what was the total weight of all the pineapples that Timmy bought for his mum? I wonder if you've ever had a maths question like that with a little story or scenario behind it. I'm sure that you probably have, but I bet you didn't write something like this as your answer. What kind of mother expects her child to carry such a vast quantity of pineapples home from school? Who even can eat that many pineapples? The risk of a mouth ulcer is very high. Also, what kind of racket is Timmy running to have a wallet full of $100 notes? Is Timmy a meth dealer? These questions need to be answered. Now, your math teacher might be slightly amused by that response, but you'd not receive any marks for that question, would you? Because that scenario about Timmy and the pineapples has not been written for the purpose of critiquing Tim's mum's parenting or Timmy's shady business ventures. That scenario has been written to test your mathematical abilities. See, we often read things thinking that we know better than the person who wrote it. And that means we'll ask critical questions. But whether it's a maths question or a poem in English or a message from a friend, if we ask questions of a piece of writing that it did not intend to answer, well, then we're going to end up frustrated, just like my answer to that maths question. And it's the same with Genesis chapter 1. See, before we look in depth at each of the seven days of creation, I bet that a question you have is, how can everything have been made in seven days? Don't you know all the science suggests that the world is heaps older than that? I mean, we look at the world around us and all of the research and we think that we know better than Genesis chapter 1. Now, that's a, it's an interesting and very important question, but we need to be mindful of the fact that Genesis 1 was not written to answer that question directly. We're not reading a textbook with graphs and tables about carbon dating. But that doesn't mean that we're reading a fairy tale either. We are engaging with God's word. Now, I believe that God doesn't lie, that his word to us is truth. And so if the geological evidence suggests that our world is much older than the 6,000 years that a literal reading of Genesis would have us believe, well then, God can't be lying to me in his word. So either I'm reading God's word wrong, or we've got the science wrong. Now, scientists, they can make mistakes. They're people, and people are really good at mistakes. But the geological evidence that our planet is old is pretty significant. Our Earth is old, really old, millions of years old. We're not getting the science wrong on that one. So am I reading God's word wrong if I say Earth was made in a week? Possibly. I can only read as much from Genesis 1 as Genesis 1 will allow me to read, even if I think I know better. Just like the pineapple maths question, I can't read why Timmy's mum needed all those pineapples. I can't read how Timmy managed to get them all home. I can only read what's there. So what's there to read in Genesis 1? Well, funnily enough, I don't have to conclude from Genesis 1 that the earth began around 6,000 years ago, On that day one, when in verse 3, God says, let there be light. 
When Meg read from Genesis 1, there's actually a paragraph break between the, the Spirit of God hovering over our tofu earth from last week and the verse where God makes light and establishes the idea of day and night. Now that paragraph break, it's not there in the original Hebrew. There, there aren't really paragraphs in Hebrew. But the first two verses about the tofu earth, they're written very differently to the rest of chapter 1. Chapter 1 has that neat pattern of each day beginning with, and God said. And then it ends with, and there was morning, and there was evening, the whatever day. It's got a structure, it's got a rhythm to it. And it's written in the present tense. Verses 1 to 2 about that tofu earth are not written like that. They're written in a different tense, as a little introduction. It's just like every Star Wars movie always begins with that black screen and that teal blue text that says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then the action of the story gets underway. You see, what Genesis 1 is suggesting to us is that when God initially made the earth as that blob of tofu, well, that event happened a long time ago, before the first day when God said, let there be light. It's recorded in verse 3. Now, how long was the earth the formless blob of verses 1 to 2 before God started to shape it into the earth that we know today? We don't know. Genesis 1 doesn't say. But it also doesn't say that as soon as the earth came into existence, a week-long countdown was on for God to make everything. And while we're talking about days and what the text does and doesn't say, it's important to note that we're not told that each day followed straight after the other. You know, if I was to translate the Hebrew word for word, I'd actually be forced to say, and there was not to say there was evening and morning the first day, but rather I'd have to say there was evening and morning a first day. In fact, I'd be forced to do that for days one through to five, but not day six and seven, which are very definitely the sixth day and the seventh day. So what could this all mean? Well, it could mean that each day is not necessarily one after the other but that each day was simply a significant day of God's development of earth. Now what I want you to notice is that I haven't even picked up a science textbook yet or looked at any of the scientific evidence. I'm going to save that for another week. Instead, I've just been explaining that the questions we ask of Genesis 1 itself aren't necessarily that necessary to ask. So what is the necessary question to ask? Why are day 6 and day 7 different those other days? Well, because that's where the story reaches its high point, with the creation of you and me, male and female. Humanity, God's treasured possession and unique creation, that is the, the capstone to the story. This is the question that Genesis 1 is actually asking and answering, and that is, what is our place in the universe? Well, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We're made to reflect his goodness to animals, to plants, to our environment. And likewise, we channel all of the glory from what God has made and we send it back to God as we worship him. Because he now rests after he spoke this masterpiece of a universe into existence. Now I know today I haven't answered all the things you might question and find wrong with Genesis 1. But if we look at the age and development of our planet and we think that God has got it wrong in Genesis chapter 1, well, then we're focusing on the wrong question. Instead, when we properly read Genesis 1, 
we see why God made everything and us the way he did. And if we can see anything from the state of our planet at the moment, well, we should see that perhaps it is us who've got it wrong, not God. And perhaps if things have gone so wrong since that seventh day, well, we might need to read more than Genesis 1 properly. We might need to properly read all of God's word right up to Jesus. And so my challenge to you this year in your Christian studies classes, in all of your classes, all your subjects, my challenge is don't rush. Don't write things off. We all need to ask questions without thinking that we know better. I've personally changed my thinking on Genesis 1 as the years have passed. But ask your questions of the Bible knowing that you're not reading a textbook or a fairy tale or a Snapchat. You just might be reading the text that knows you better than you might think.